0: Morning, everybody. My name is Dan Mike. I'm excited to study the Bible with you this morning. And well, first I just have an announcement I'd like to make. You may or may not have noticed well, we got the pool set up. Today is a very special day—Baptism Sunday, one of my favorite days. There are people in this community that the Lord is speaking to, and they want to give their test or they, they want to testify to just how saturated their life is with their faith in Christ, and they want to uh, put that on display for us today, and so we want to support them. We want to pray for them and uh, give them our attention, and I also just want to put it out there. If you want to be baptized today and you didn't sign up or think about it ahead of time, you're more than welcome to. we got a long tradition here at Crossroads of people just jumping in. We also then, because of that, have got clothes and towels and stuff ready for you. Because we've been caught before without any of that. And so if you want to be baptized today, um, you can come and talk to one of our pastors here, Gabe. Right here with the red uh, sweatshirt on. And just all you got to do, just go ask him, what do I need to do? If you're an introvert, you don't like talking to people, just one line. I'll give it to you. Today's the day. Just go up to Gabe and say, today's the day. The Holy Spirit might be Knocking on the door. And it's time. We want to celebrate that with you. Um, And so today, uh, we'll get to that as soon as I'm done talking. Hopefully, uh, it won't take too long. But no, I love a baptism. I love to see what God's doing in our community. I'd like to invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter one, um, (laughs) and then turn over from there to Mark, chapter one. A little bit of a sword drill here. (laughs) Uh, Just last week, we began a long study that we're going to be in for uh, quite a while on the Gospel of Mark. And so, just like to have some introductory thoughts uh, to carry with us as we study this together. Rod, last week, opened up chapter 1 and gave us a, a very robust description of the author of Mark, the context that Mark was written in. Uh, Some of the bit of the world that they're living in. And I'd like to add to that by giving a little bit of the just literary features of Mark in a sense. um, It's a fancy way of putting it. But what I like to call it is the vibe. I want to talk about the vibe of Mark. Uh, What is he sounding like? And what is the reason for this? Uh, if you've ever read Mark, there's definitely a vibe. I was reading a book recently by Scott McKnight, and he wasn't talking about this, but he had sort of an aside about just him reading the Gospel of Mark, and I remember he said, I was reading it, and just all of a sudden, I noticed that my heart was racing, and my blood pressure was up. and I couldn't figure out why, and it's because of the way he's writing. He's trying to do something. Uh, Rod said last week, euthus, this, is, this word in Greek is used 40-some times in Mark, meaning immediately. Uh, he's, 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 it's very frenetic, and it's causing uh, us to, to be challenged and confronted with certain things. I like to say Mark has sharp teeth, and he's not afraid to draw blood. Um, and we can see this from the very first line of Mark. You know, all the Gospels have their own beginnings, the way that they decide to set up the, their, their story. And Matthew and Luke, they have the uh, the miraculous story of the birth of Christ. And they situate that within the context of the long genealogies and the promises of God that's been going on for uh, generations. And Mark and John, they also start in a similar way. Almost even the same words, right? What, In the beginning, right? We see that in John. They both use this uh, uh, Greek words that that are culturally charged. What does John use? We studied this two years ago. He says, in the beginning, the word, logos. And he's like using this Greek term to draw people in, uh, to draw in the culture. And and it's this word that for them meant the, the source of all knowledge and the source of life. But then he says very quickly, and the word became flesh. And in that moment, the crowd starts to perk up in my imagination, and they come a little closer. And he's like, I got a story to tell you that you might have never heard. He even says himself, it was an evangelistic move, right? I've written these things so that you would believe. But turning back to Mark, he, he also says in the beginning, and he uses a word, though, that is a political term. Mark is not an evangelistic letter. Let me put it that way. I mean, he's even the one where most of the time Jesus is telling people, don't tell anybody what I just said to you or what I did to you. <laughs> it's the opposite of evangelism. <laughs> uh, and so he says, in the beginning it was the gospel. This is a Roman term where the Roman Caesar will also even call himself the son of God. And Mark says, in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Shots have been fired, ladies and gentlemen. Okay, this is a confrontation from the beginning. The vibe of Mark is a prophet. It's prophetic. Now, when we talk about processing a prophetic word, uh, what you need to keep in mind is two things, attitude and heart. Heart. Okay, if you've ever met somebody who claims to be prophetic and all they have is a bad attitude, that's not the same thing. That's just a mean person, or you know, like that's you got to discern that one a little more. But if, um, but if you if you know the prophets of the Bible, they are not malicious people. Yet they have attitude. They have a heart. The the angel in John uh, in Revelation said to John, "The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus." The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. And so if somebody is speaking a prophetic word, I'll take all the attitude in the world. If you are telling me the testimony of Jesus over my life and you're calling me out and saying this is true for you. This is what God has done for you. This is who you are in his kingdom. That's the point. The prophet has a passion for the truth of God to be known and to be told. Now, as you see Mark portray Jesus, he portrays him in the office of prophet. And scholars will tell you there's three main categories in the Bible of leadership that Jesus kind of um, falls into. Priest, the one who's uh, speaking blessings over the nation of Israel and interceding on their behalf. Yes, Jesus is a priest. He is our high priest. King, thank you, Kanye, Jesus is our king. And he, he is our leader, and that's an easier one for us to talk about. But a, a, an undersold role that Jesus does fit in is the one of prophet. And Mark wants to show us that. And I tell you that because prophets will challenge you, they will critique and, and they will point at things. Prophets are absolutely allergic to corruption. And so, as Mark on, uh, explodes, this, this first chapter is just full of prophet. Stuff, prophet motif, prophet sounding things, even even that challenge of this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's the very next thing? We hear a prophet, Isaiah, a voice of one crying out in the wilderness. The wilderness itself is a place that's very uh, associated with prophets. This is where prophets go. It's like if they're allergic to corruption, the wilderness is their EpiPen, right? They go and they... they, they get to a spot where they can actually breathe and be uh, thoughtful. And In the wilderness is where the prophets are confirmed and where they're also, they're a place of confrontation. So this, this is what we see. The first story is a big story of confirmation as Jesus in the wilderness is baptized and the voice from heaven calls out. But then he goes into another story of wilderness, of confrontation. And Mark doesn't spend a ton of time here. He just says Jesus went to the wilderness and was tested by the devil, and it was wild. It was a crazy place. And I think what Mark is doing here, not by spending a ton of time, but he is bringing us into a place of reality. Notice the very next verse in 14, it says, And then John the Baptist was put in prison. It's easy for us to kind of skim over that because here we are in in, in the West where it's easy for us to come to church and just. You know, talk about the gospel. But what Mark is doing is grabbing us by the collars and saying, Do you know that this message is so opposite, has so much opposition towards it because of the powers of this world, because of corruption in this world, that people are being put into jail because of this? And even now, as I speak, there are people in our world where that is their reality. And so right away, we had to evaluate is the message of the gospel that I know and that I love and that we sing about and receive worth me, worth the opposition? Am I ready for if this does get difficult? There have been men and women throughout history who have stood up to that and said, Yes, what I see here is worth my life. And so as we stand to read uh, the Bible, we stand in solidarity with that long tradition of people. We honor them. We honor the gospel. We stand upon God's word and upon the gospel. As we, um, and we sacrifice just one little protest that we have that we can do instead of just sitting and lounging in our chairs. Just one moment. Stand with me as we read the scripture. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He said, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting nets in the lake because they were fishermen. Come and follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you... I will send you out to fish for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he said, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat preparing their nets. Immediately, he called them, and they left their father, Zebedee, in the boat with the hired men, and they followed him. Amen. Amen. You may have a seat if you so choose. (laughs) I'm excited today to bring up this topic as we read this story about uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John and this moment that they had where they they dropped their nets. Um, What I want to just put before you today is to consider, are you a follower of Jesus? It's not just a story about these guys choosing to say, I will follow you. It is a story that kind of, that, that's meant to compel us into the same, in, in the same question. Will you follow me? Following implies a lot of things. <laughs> it implies movement. It, it implies leadership. It implies humility. I'll never forget, I, I listened to an audio years ago of Eugene Peterson talking about leadership. And he just said, this world is just so obsessed with leadership. But Christians are just called to follow. We make things so complicated sometimes um, in how to be uh, a Christian or not. And today, I just wanted to give you that simple question. And you have permission to identify as just a follower of Jesus. But this is For them, and it is for us, not a light thing to be uh, dealing with here. This is an actual formal call that he gave to them, something that rabbis would never do in their time. I mean, this is kind of like PhD candidacy here. It's not something that uh, anybody will just walk up to you and just offer any fisherman on the Sea of Galilee. So this also kind of shows us as to why they were so quick to turn to that and say, are you serious? You think that I can follow you? What it means here is this is what is called discipleship. Following Jesus and discipleship here are synonymous terms. And being a disciple is somebody who in every area of their life are seeking to be about what Jesus is about or to be about what your rabbi is about. It's a long process of wrestling through all the different categories and topics of your life as you see what your rabbi is doing as a a challenge and an invitation to be like him. This isn't a flaw in the system of Christianity. I know some of us in, you know, post-industrial revolution world would think it would be just a lot more efficient if uh, Jesus would just do this for us and go around and You know, we could broadcast him all over the world somehow through some screen or something, but this is his design. To impart who he is into each of you is actually a validation of you as an individual. It's giving you dignity and worth. Jesus is saying to each of you in each of us, you can do this. You can bring who I am into your context, and I value your context enough to keep you there and to encourage you, to show me to whoever it is that's around you. But in order to do this, we have to have intense and, and intentional conversations and help figure out what does it look like for me to be a disciple of Christ in 2022? And what does it look like for you? Growing up, I don't know if you were swimming in the same waters as I was, discipleship was sort of an extra credit thing. You're supposed to be a Christian, and then if you're like a really good or a lucky Christian, you could be somebody's disciple. Or if you're in that extra, you might have a disciple. I mean, I couldn't imagine ever being somebody, you know, that that was a reality for me. Um, And so that begs the question, is there a difference between a disciple, a follower of Jesus, and just a Christian? And I would just sort of, if I was in that conversation with you, I would just sort of say, I don't know if that's a healthy expectation to have. If you came to me and said, you know what, I'm not into this whole making my life look like Jesus thing, but I'm happy to believe in him. It sounds like, one, all the benefits of what he offers but none of the truth that he actually offers uh, this world. I don't know if it's a healthy expectation. When I read the New Testament, I read things that say, if any man wants to be in Christ, he must walk as he walked. I read the Apostle Paul saying things like, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. He's making his life look like Jesus." He says, we are buried to death in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. Put on the new self that is formed and fashioned after Christ. So they started this revolution of people who were following Jesus in the early church. And they invented a word to describe them. And the word, it comes from two different um, words. One for little and the other for Christ. And it translates into English as Christian you want to be a Christian, you are a little Christ. You are somebody who is working at figuring out how to live your life in a reflection of Jesus. This is what it means to follow. It's early enough in the year that we feel like we have a clean slate and that we can sort of start making a plan. And so look at this year and ask yourself, is there anything that is not lining up with what Jesus is about that's in my life? And, and what, is that, what is the reason for that? Now, there's a lot of guys who, you know, over the years I've heard who bash how discipleship is done in the West, and not for nothing. Um, sometimes it doesn't really seem to hit the mark as to how uh, important discipleship is in Christianity. Uh, you know, and you'll hear people say, it's not just about getting coffee with people. Discipleship, you know, it's, it's, it's much more intense than that, and, and I don't want to not get in coffee with people. I've had some really, really meaningful coffee dates, you know, and so... Uh, and I, and I want to keep that, right? And so if you've been meeting with, with for somebody, like, keep doing that. Keep identifying uh, and studying the Bible together in community and keep having this conversation. But what gets weird is when we start looking at people and using them, like, I'm, I'm fine if you have a mentor. I'm fine if you have people in your life speaking into you uh, who are farther along than you. But if we start to get egotistical with how, who, is your, who is discipling you, and, oh, I've been discipled by this formidable person, or I, have, you know, I am discipling these people. We start to lose the point of the whole thing, which was, I am a disciple of Jesus. I think he said it, Matthew 23, don't let anybody call you rabbi, you have one. We have one rabbi. And as long as you can say, how can I be better, a better disciple of Jesus Now, that's a conversation you could have with anybody. You could have it with one person every week for the rest of your life. Tell me, how can I be a better disciple? How can I show the world more of who Jesus is? You can have that conversation with a stranger too. It doesn't make you their disciple. You're still Jesus' disciple. And so I want to encourage you this year to start honing in on what that might look like in your context. Because I believe in you. And I believe that you've been put where you are for a very specific reason in such a time as this. And you can show the world who Jesus is. A world that's just desperate to know who he is. The first thing that you want to do if you're going to commit to being a disciple is commit to knowing front and back the words that Jesus said and why he said it. What did Jesus say? And how can I know that and interpret that in my life so that I am one who is following Jesus? So notice what Jesus said in this this paragraph that I read to you. Go to 14b. Jesus went through Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Good news there. That's the Greek word that we talk about when we say gospel. Saying, time has come. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Good news. This is Jesus, our rabbi. And the first thing he does in his public ministry is to preach the gospel. I look at his gospel presentation, and as a good disciple, we've got to ask some questions about this. What is he talking about? Is he even allowed to say this is the gospel, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but me, Jesus and I went to different evangelistic classes growing up as to how to do this. Um, because it, I was taught, and I don't know, no malice here, but I was taught that the the way you're supposed to sh- present the gospel is through um, talking about a sinner first, getting that person that you're talking to to know that they're a sinner, and then you kind of you, you trick them into it, and then you use it in a kung fu way <laughs> to say, I've got a solution to your problem, you know, and... I had so many, like, just times where I wanted to do this, but it just never worked out. I remember I was at Taco Bell one time in line, and I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. And it's like, where would you go if you died tonight? And then the guy's like, what are you talking about? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not here for that. I don't know. I just ran out. I didn't even order a thing. I just left. New approach here. Uh, And I'm not knocking that. I'm sure that that conversation developed out of some really good places for people. But I am concerned about starting this whole idea of the gospel with an individual, with the sin of an individual, and placing them in a place, uh, in a central place. It can get dicey really fast. You know, just to develop that a little bit more, what ends up happening is you're, you're kind of talking about a transaction that can be made. You have sin i can I can pay for that. I know a guy <laughs> he he's going to pay for that, and that is true, and that is a part of the gospel. but my question is, is that good enough news It's good news that the Bible tells us about sins being paid for, but is it good enough but just to illustrate that let's just say today I found out you know I'm a, I, I read this morning in the newspaper that the government decided uh, we're going to hack into uh, I don't know how this would work, but we're going to delete all the debt. All the mortgages, somebody deleted it. Now we don't know. All the medical, it's gone. All the student loans, it's gone, you know. And there will be some of us who are like, yes, feeling good about that. And it would feel good because it is good news. But is it good enough? Because on Tuesday, and you, you might still have issues. You might still have anxiety and fear and worries and depression and stuff that you got to figure out. I mean, have you ever met somebody who is struggling with this where they've been just told, hey, just be happy. Your debt's been paid. And they're like, thank you. I feel kind of bad that Jesus died for me, but I have issues here. And how does that play into that? It's not just about debt cancellation. What Jesus starts with is not the individual sin. He starts with the kingdom, a kingdom that has a king and that you are invited into to be a citizen of. This kingdom is something, as he brings it up, that maybe we don't really resonate with or that we haven't talked about a ton. But let me tell you, in his context, to bring up this message of God's kingdom being at hand is like starting a bonfire at a gas station because this is going to ignite some serious emotions about what this guy is talking about. In their Bible, okay, the Old Testament, it is full of references of this one day, this kingdom, and this king. I mean, starting in 2 Samuel, right, there's this promise of a king who will rule like David. The Goliath slaying the, 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 the person who, who put Israel at rest. There's, your son is, is going to be the king. Isaiah prophesies about that, taking that very language. and says the government will be upon his shoulders and his rule. There will be no end. Um, Daniel 7 How cherished is an exile story while they're uh, under Roman uh, oppression right now. And and in Daniel 7, there's this son of man who approaches the ancient of days, and his kingdom and dominion will have no end. I was just reading this morning, Psalm 145. I thought I'd share with you just the way David uh, talks to God here when he says, I exalt you, my God, the king. And he goes on. The Lord is good and has compassion on everything he has made. All your works praise you. Your faithful people extol you. And they will tell of your glorious kingdom. To speak of your might so that all people will know your mighty acts. And the glorious splendor of your kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your dominion endures through all generations. For the Lord is trustworthy. In all, the promises, in all his promises, and faithful in all that he does. The kingdom of heaven advancing is good news. It's really good news. And if we want to be disciples of Christ, we have to hone in and, and articulate what that good news really is. Because believe it or not, news is going to follow you wherever you go. When you walk into a room at work, news comes in with you. And what is that news? Are you carrying the good news or are you walking into a room and everybody's like, okay, this guy's here again. We are disciples of Jesus who proclaims good news about a kingdom that we are welcomed into. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is not a place of great restriction like Egypt, but the kingdom of heaven is a place, a wide open space, where we can explore freedom in the love of God. The fences have all come down. The kingdom of heaven is not a place where there's not enough to go around, but a place uh, where there's plenty, and a place where uh, the, ta- the banquet table has been set, And people from all nations are welcome to it. And yes, it's not necessarily in Zion, but it it is in your living room and in your house that the banquet has been set. And and the kingdom of heaven is a place where we don't have to just worry about, is everybody who's different than me a threat? Because our king of this kingdom has defeated our greatest enemies And has conquered them and put us in a place where the wall of division between us has been torn down. And we are able to walk across that that line and embrace somebody else in faith that Jesus has brought us together. This is what his kingdom is like. His kingdom is a place of rest for weary souls. You are invited to enter into it. Even with small faith like a mustard seed size. And mighty things can grow out of that faith. Do you know about this kingdom? Are you bringing this kingdom news with you as you come and go in this world? Because this is gospel. Not everybody's going to get it. Not everybody's going to accept it. But for most people, they're going to start to see good news walk through the door when they see you. And they're going to feel the kingdom, the love of the kingdom of God break out into, into, your, into the your relationship and we're going to start seeing questions come up like where did you get that forgiveness that moment where you were just ready to forgive because in the kingdom of God there is empowerment and there is ability to actually forgive and in the kingdom of God they're going to start tasting fruit and the fruit of the spirit it'll be plenty with love joy peace and patience kingdom of God is good news. The problem is we sometimes trade good news for other things. Some of us are not doing a good job at figuring out our ratio as to what we're allowing to to preach to us and to speak to our minds and so we hear a version of the world that is actually just it's not this lining up with what jesus said sometimes uh we allow so much negativity in but listen the world is not going to tell you that the kingdom is advancing the world's going to tell you the opposite that the darkness is winning It's going to frustrate you and create chaos and despair in your heart and mind. And it's a challenge as a follower of Jesus to set up your ratio as to what's going in. I mean, think about it practically. What is the ratio of how much uh, world words uh, and and leadership is coming in and how much Jesus is coming into your heart? What is shaping your worldview and your faith? Is the ratio 1%? to seven, like seven days a week, I listen to the world. And one day, I hear the the, the Bible verse. It's still early in the year. Uh, we, we could set up a new plan here of like maybe 50-50, because there'd be equal share time. Like uh, the more you listen to the news and the screens that tell us about so much negativity in the world, then the more then you can have fifty percent share time of like the gospel that is that where Jesus is sitting. It is near. God is not far away. God is not, not uh, he's not a, an aloof God that doesn't know about your pain and your world. He has entered into that. The problem is it's just not gonna be televised. It's gonna be done through word of mouth at Stocking Elementary at, like Mo said, the southeast side of town as the church continues to be the church. You're never gonna hear about it because it's a group of humble people who don't brag. But you'll be there, and you'll hear the good news as you're bringing that into your world. Push back against the lies, and nothing's going on. The second thing that Jesus said in this line that I noticed is, the time has come. The time has come. What does this mean? This is a moment where Jesus is declaring there's something has changed whether it's uh, he, he, all of the promises of God, this era where God is promising us uh, a change and promising us that his, he's going to take his kingdom, his planet back, Jesus declares, and that time has begun. And some of us have a hard time listening to this, uh, uh, this promise and believing that Jesus is doing anything in this world because it's been so long. We talk about the time has come, What we hear is the time has come and the time has passed. Where are you? Part of the problem is, is we live in a time where we eat, drink, and sleep instant gratification. We have been just raised in a time where we expect and demand instant results and quantifiable change right now. And I need to see that or else my life doesn't matter. We've lost our ability to believe in incremental change or believe in like the way that the gospel actually does spread in this world. Even though God has, from the very beginning of the Bible, encouraged us to take time each week to turn the clock off and and, and to turn your watch and screens off and say, time, you are not my God. I'm not running out of time. I am not, you know, I am not worried that this isn't going to get done. I'm going to just rest and I'm going to protest against that fear and feeling that I'm running out of time. If you don't start to acknowledge this and see that Jesus proclaimed the time has come and I'm making a change here in this world, what can end up happening is you can can want all the kingdom, but you can say, I don't really trust the timing of the king. And what happens when you have all the kingdom and not the king is you become somebody who is just desperate for justice to happen in this world and desperate for all kinds of good things to happen, but it's, it's not brought with the wisdom and the timing of the king, and it can get dysfunctional so fast, and we could turn into people who are just like, if you're not seeking the kingdom in the same way, same way as me, then you're out. And, it, and we become legalists, and really, we sit on the throne of that kingdom, and there's only enough room for one person in that kingdom. The kingdom that we are invited in is a kingdom of a declaration that the time has come for lies like there's, there's not enough going on in this world, that God's not doing anything in this world to solve the problem of evil, where lies like that are put to death. And maybe today, it's, it's going to be a time of repentance for us to say, I have been believing in this lie that you're not doing anything, God, and I'm going to put my faith in your word, Jesus, for when you said it, the, kingdom, the time has come. And you are at work in this world, and I want to partner with you in that work. Lastly, the culture that we live in, also there's a version of the gospel that ends up being preached that reduces the good news of the kingdom into something that's more like good advice for your kingdom we, uh, we can trade the good news for good advice because it's, it, it promises us a lot of really good things, but it's just not good enough. Really good things like comfort and entertainment. And it just attracts us to, to figure out how do I get more of that in my life so that I can feel good and check out of all the bad. That the good advice gospel starts to teach us how to accumulate for ourselves all kinds of wealth and and comfort so that we're able to control more about our life here and now. And the good thing about that message is it, it you get the good of this world now and you also get the good of the world to come as well. I mean it sounds amazing. The only problem is it's just not what Jesus preached. And if you believe in that type of gospel, if you fall for it, it starts to reduce the ability for you to have any hardship or suffering in your life. And I have seen this devastate people. Reality is, as Nietzsche said, if you have the right why, you can withstand any what. And the why that we have in the gospel makes us so resilient for whenever the what happens. As Jesus said it himself, You are free to build your house on sand. And that's what the prosperity gospel is. It's a a big, beautiful house built on sand. Doesn't really know what to do when the storm comes. But if you are a disciple of Jesus and building your house on him and his word, you will have a resilience when, uh, when the storms come of life. You will have the ability to withstand. And that why that you have, that beautiful why of the gospel of Jesus Christ will get you through any what. So I just want to ask you, are you a follower of Jesus? Are you or are you a follower of this world? And I want to encourage you this week and this year to start honing in on what it looks like for you to shape your life after the one who gave his life up for us all, taught us about his kingdom of self-sacrifice. It isn't necessarily going to be comfort. And actually, the expectation that he gave us is a cross. But Jesus said to himself, if anyone wants to follow me, you're going to lose your life, but I promise you're you're going to find it. Pick up your cross and follow me. And we'll show the world what it means to be good news, to rescue and to love the lost. With that being said, I'd like to invite the people up who are going to be baptized today and make their commitment.